So no Silent Assassin, Pat Costa, no, no Science Advisor, Matt Moniz. Just us. I kind of forgot to invite them, actually. You did. That's well, okay. Well, Matt Costa works nights. He does. And Moniz works, you know, in the city. Yes. So by the time he gets home, you know, he's pretty wiped out. I figured he probably wouldn't want to come in and join us for this. Right, right. So it's just us. So as you're listening, we are busy doing zombie dances, I guess. Well, we'll be dressed as zombies. I don't know how many how many dances I'll be doing. I don't know. I just saw today on Twitter that um, there might be a zombie prom king and queen. Huh. Well. That's news to me, so. I think we should vote for Jeff and Dustin to win those titles, and we can just figure out later on. That's a great idea. We can figure out later on who gets which. Um, I need to know. How are we going to choose? How are we going to vote? Is it best costume? Is it, you know, best zombie walk, a zombie dance? I need to know. I'm not going to lie. I thought about being a zombie girl for okay, this. Okay, okay. Just because, now listen, I had a rationale behind it. It's not like any weird cross-dressing thing. Awesome. I just figured that if you went to, like, the thrift store and got, like, a prom dress. Yes. You had far less to worry about as if you got a suit. You know, no. it's one piece of clothing. No. To shred up. Yeah, but now i got to shred up, like, a pair of pants, a shirt. Yeah, but we've discussed this. And a this. jacket. We've had discussions already. It is far easier in general, in real life, not zombie, to be a guy. Right. All you have to do is walk. The effort. No, no. You have to walk to a closet, grab a shirt and pants, and walk out the door. Girls, way harder. To go to the zombie prom, you now have to find a dress. Way harder than just going to the store and getting a suit. Well, not if you just go to the store and get a dress. No, it's still hard. you got to choose something. It's not your real prom. No, but I still... Listen, I had a conversation today with John Brightman because he's doing our makeup. I don't want to be an ugly zombie. I think you have to be. I don't want to be an ugly zombie. I think the uglier the better. Ugh. What kind of zombie are you planning on being? A cute zombie. I'm trying. I'm making an effort. I might be the first one in history. I don't know how that's going to work. I don't know either because I just don't like blood. I'm not... Like, I pass out at blood. I don't know if you can get away without blood. At least you're going to need dirt. It's either I, blood or dirt. I One think I'd go with dirt. Both, dirt. Dirt. I'd rather dirt. I I just don't like blood. So this is going to be very interesting for me. I'm going to be surrounded by a bunch of bloody, gory people. It won't matter because by the time that people are listening to this anyway, we're already there. And you're already stuck. I am. You're already hiding in the corner because you're like, well, this is way scarier than I thought it was going to be. I'm going to be the zombie wallflower. <laughs> when When... John finishes doing your makeup and shows you in the mirror, you're going to scream. I'm terrified and, and, and probably pass out. Yeah, you're yep. going to be like, I'm going home. Forget it. I just talked to him today, and he told me his plans about your makeup, and they sounded pretty interesting. About mine? Yep. Um, should I should I get rid of the beard? No. Or should I keep that as part of it? I think you should keep the beard. I like you with a beard. Well, because, no, I mean, like, should I, I have to trim it, is what I'm saying. Like, mm. I'm, I'm at the point now where I want to trim it. Or should really? I leave it like this just for the for the zombie prom? Well, I you know, I have to. I have to cut it back every couple of weeks. Yeah, but trim it or totally shave it? No, I'm not going to totally okay, shave good. it. I just mean like trim it down to like, it's just a little bit beyond stubble and then it grows back. Mm, I don't know. I kind of like the beard, but it's up to you. Well, it's all gray and white in different spots. No, it doesn't, doesn't look bad. doesn't really look very even. But, uh, and also the other thing is I need to get a haircut. I need to get a haircut for like a while now. Right. But with my new schedule, I don't really have time to go unless right. I go on like a Saturday and then when Saturday comes around, I'm like, uh, I don't really feel like going. <laughs> so I was thinking about this is... You know, when I wake up in the morning, my hair is a total disaster. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about maybe that day wearing a shower cap when I take a shower yep. and just keeping my bedhead from when I get out. The steam just... from the shower will probably relax the bedhead a little bit. I don't know. I don't but know. why don't we get some, I'll bring some hair products and we can make your hair all crazy. 
I have I have products. Okay, so bring them. Let's do it. I'm I'll a big man. Oh my goodness. That's uh, it's from a movie. Yeah, we we know how I I do with the movies. But... It's a good one. It's not a horror movie. Okay, good. It's All from right. uh, Oh Brother, We're Out There. Oh, I've seen that. Yeah, it's one of my dad's favorites. That's the the hair gel that George ah, Clooney uses. Yes, I'm a yes. Dapper Dan man. Very true. Now so. I remember. Um, yeah, I think we should do your hair. So let me zombie it up. Whatever we need to do, all that matters is that we're raising money for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. And even if you couldn't make it out to the zombie prom, if you're sitting at home Saturday night listening to this, although it's not going to be live, so I don't know how you could be, but you know, if you didn't get a chance to actually go to the zombie prom, you can still make a donation. Yes. Just go to the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society's website, and you can make a donation right there. Uh, but I would recommend actually going to ghostvillage.com and finding Jeff's Climb to the Cure page and, and get all the information there and actually make a donation to Jeff and Dustin's team that's going to be ca- climbing Mount Kilimanjaro as part of the effort to raise money to help cure uh, these terrible diseases. So right. that would be my recommendation. For those of you who didn't get to go, don't worry. There will be plenty of pictures and videos and everything all over the Oof. Internet. We'll be going Facebook Live, I'm sure. Uh, you have to. We're going to look ridiculous. And I was going to plan on you and I going Facebook Live in the car on the way there just because that would be hysterical. Whatever we need to do. And I really hope we don't get pulled over on the way home because that would be also ridiculous. I mean, we don't have to wear the makeup home. I mean, How are we, we going to get it off? We could, well, I mean. We're going to need like a full-blown shower. John, John's getting a hotel room, isn't he? Yeah. We could just swing by his, his hotel room. Take a shower. Room. I don't want to take a shower. No, he's like, he's airbrushing like my entire body. So, because obviously I have a dress on, so my legs are going to be showing. Oh my so god, I, you're doing the naked John Brightman painting? No. Oh, I've seen that happen. I've no. seen I've seen it in real life. Yeah, I'm sure. I, I think I've seen those those photo shoots I saw, too. I saw it get shut down by the police. Did you? Yeah, at uh, oh at, at Terracon. Um, no, because you know I have a short dress, then my legs are obviously going to be exposed. My feet. Um, I know he was talking about doing your hands because your hands will be exposed, so it has to match your face. And he's talking, he was asking me the style of dress I was going to be wearing so that way he can put wounds like on my shoulder and my arms and all these crazy things. So I, uh, I'm i going to be probably head to toe in, in zombie, zombie everything. So then the question becomes, where do we stop on the way home? Oh, God. Like, where do we stop so to we're try in the shower? Where do we stop to try and freak people out? No. I don't know. What's open at that time? What time does it end? There's, it's going to get over like 11 or so. There's, but there's going to be all kinds of things where we can, you know, you can stop at like a McDonald's or a We're going to have to get Burger creative. King. You know, the Burger King's on Route 24 open 24 hours. Although somebody got killed in those. It might not be a good idea. I was going to say, let's not go to a place where there's already been a murder. Yeah, we shouldn't go to Murder King. No. But the, uh, the, and plus, if you're going to be looking like a freak, you want to go somewhere where you can sit down anyway. You know, you want to go to like a, uh, like an IHOP. Yeah. You'd have to find like a 24 hour one. I think they all are. I know where to find one. I know where to find an IHOP. I'm sure you do because we, this is our discussion. Every single time we have any type of ghost event, you want to go to IHOP right afterwards. I always say that. I've never made it. I don't really like IHOP food. I don't either. (laughs) I just say it. So we'll be there uh, or we are there depending on when you're listening to this. Yes. And it'll be a great time. Trust me, it was fantastic. Uh, But... There's some other events that are coming up as well, too, that we want to make sure that we mention. We've been talking about them for the last couple of weeks. Right. But one of the – well, first of all, I mean, we just passed our 11th anniversary. Which is so exciting. But everybody was asking us, are you going to have an 11th anniversary party? Mm Mm-hmm. And the answer is no. Technically, it's a zombie prom. We already didn't. Right. We already already did not have the party. So, Uh, But, yes, we are kind of celebrating it at the zombie prom, although not trying to – steal the thunder away from the no, event no, no. fundraising. But all of our friends can come and hang out with us and support a good cause at the same time. 
be, you know, the, the one, 11th anniversary is a good milestone for sure. Right. But also, like, we didn't do anything for the, the 10th. 10th. That's what I was thinking. So if you didn't do anything for the 10th, how are you going to do something for the 11th? It just doesn't seem right. We're just going to have to do something fun for the the 500th but show. That's, that's the thing is we have the 500th episode coming up, and that's right. a big milestone. Yes. So that's something that I think we're going to we're gonna celebrate. I think we'll do that with something. I don't know what yet. We're going to have to do something. I still have to look and see when it kind of shakes out. I, I just think in up, May. I just signed up for a wrestling event in, in March that I don't know if that's going to affect the show. You and I are pretty busy over the next few months. It's ridiculous. Together and separately. It's ridiculous. But, you know, we like going out and meeting right. people and interacting and networking. We also like money. So it all kind of works out. Right. <laughs> we have to work, but at the same time, you know, I don't look at it as work. When you love what you do, it doesn't matter. You know, you go out, you do your thing, and I absolutely love networking with people, meeting new friends, and hunting ghosts at the same time. What could get better? Well, you know, some of our friends are lucky enough to be able to do it full time. It's right. all that they do. And uh, I'm on my know, way there. I love my new job, but if somebody wants to just pay me all the time to go look for ghosts, mm-hmm. I'll take that gig. Absolutely. So, you know, we're, we're branching out a little bit more. Yes, we are, definitely. And we want everybody else to come out and see us. Now, the first event that we're going to be at together, at least, is uh, is the Provincetown Paracon. I'm, I'm sorry. That is actually later. Yes. It's SalemCon. It's Salem going to be the Con. first one. That's in April. See, I get my dates confused already. That's why I had to sign up with Bright Star Promotions. Yes. So that he Thank can you, tell John, me where to go. Thank you, John, for running our lives for us. He can be like, hey, just remember, next weekend you're supposed to be here. I got to remind him how many updates he needs to give me all the time for things. Yeah, but I got you covered on that too. That's I book true. you for events with him because I I help him with his company. So Salem Con Three is happening April twenty first to the twenty second at the Hawthorne Hotel in Salem. Uh, a great lineup of speakers: Brian Kano, John Zaffis, Chip Coffee will be there, and this is, is his first appearance at Salem Con. Yes. Scott Gruenwald, Frank Sinelli, me, Rosalind Bound, Dave Giuliano, and Bob Christopher. So you've got a great lineup of people right there, and then. All the paranormal community comes out for this, too. Right. So even if they're not featured on the poster, there'll still be other people and surprise guests and all kinds of things going on. Yes. So it's it's definitely worth getting out. I think it's just $15 to get a ticket for Saturday for the lecture series and the convention. Right. You know, if you want to take part in the, the VIP party on Friday night or the ghost hunt on Saturday night, that's a little bit more money. Mm-hmm. But, you know, just to get in for the day and to meet all these, you know, paranormal folks and to, to yep. walk around and talk to people, it's only $15. I mean, you can't go wrong. Nope, some people some people will go and say, "Hey, how are we going to spend a Saturday?" And they'll go to a movie, or they'll go bowling, or something, or or go to a flea market, and you'll spend more money than that. Absolutely, just trying to fill time. Yep. So this is a chance to come out and support the paranormal community in New England, and to meet people. And, and there's been people that we've met at SalemCon over the last couple of years that have become good friends and right. become part, you know, friends of the show, friends personally. It's just it's, it's a great community of people. Uh, in New England, and it's our chance to kind of all come together. As of right now, I am booked to be there. Um, that could change tonight, but I'm hoping that I will absolutely be there this year because this will be my first one. And if you do get to go, yes, I highly recommend that uh, you save a little bit of time. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know that you've been to Salem before. Yes. But just save a little bit of time so that you can kind of wander around and check some things out. Anybody that's making the plan to go and you want to go on Saturday – Keep in mind that, you know, it's it's a balance of when all the tourist attractions are open in addition right. to the stuff that's going on at the actual convention itself. But if you wait until Sunday, if you decide to go and you stay and you get a room at the Hawthorne Hotel and you wait till Sunday, everything opens up at like noon. Mm-hmm. So you have plenty of time to get up, have breakfast, hang out with people before they start to say goodbye, 
And then still go experience Salem. Salem is amazing. It's such a magical city, and I don't say that just because, you know, it, it tends to be surrounded by that stuff. But there is just something about it when you drive right into it, right off the highway, that you can just feel the energy and the difference. And I absolutely love being up there. So I'm really, 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 really hoping that everything works out with my schedule and I'm able to 100% be there because I'm really looking forward to it. And I'll have my sidekick with me too. Wait, which sidekick? Alicia. Oh, okay. Because you, you have a couple of sidekicks. I do, I do. But one that you definitely, well, you know both of them, but Alicia will be with there's me that more weekend. Than, there's more than two. There's, there's three. Three you, that you know. You have an army. I do not. <laughs> you have an entire army. I tend to, to collect people, yes, along the way. But it's just because I'm so weird that people want to hang out with me. Can't blame them for that. You do it. And then coming up on May 12th or the 14th will be the Provincetown Paracon. Yes. We'll both be there. Yes, that'll be happening uh, in Provincetown, obviously. Yes. But if you've never been to Provincetown, Which then... I haven't. I've you, only been you, once a long, long, long time ago. The last time I was there was two years ago to give a library lecture mm-hmm. uh, during Halloween season. And I hadn't been for a long time before that. And I only did like a little cursory drive mm-hmm. through the roads. And I had no time to spend in Provincetown itself. And that'll change for this weekend because there'll be some time oh, yes. to kind of wander around and experience Provincetown. Yes. And it's, uh, for people that don't know, I mean, you look at a map of Massachusetts and you see the arm. Yes. And you see the very, you know, the, the very tip of the fist of the mm-hmm. arm. That's Provincetown. And it's as far out on Cape Cod as you can get. And it's a different world when you go out there. As you're traveling down the Cape, you go from driving on a highway to driving down a single-lane highway, mm-hmm. to driving down just a regular back road. Yep. And then you go through this long stretch of just dunes and beach before you get to Provincetown. If you look at, you know, Google Maps, um, it takes place at the Provincetown Inn, which is rumored to be haunted. And you look on Google Maps, and you're surrounded. You're on the very tip of the Cape. And everything, and you know, it's not like there's nothing out there. If you look on the map, there's plenty of restaurants and Little, you know, quaint shops that you can only get on Cape Cod. It's the type of stuff that you can only find out there, and it's it's going to be a good time. And it's a very artsy community. Yes. I mean, there's a lot of people who uh, perform, a lot of people who craft, a lot of people who yes. make things, a lot of stores for people who make things. Mm-hmm. So there's there's something for everybody out there. And But that's just the city, the, the town itself. Right. That's not even mentioning what's actually going to be going on with the convention, uh, which will it, – it's being put on by Sam Baltrusis, who is the author of Paranormal Provincetown. And he has Amy Bruni and Adam Berry, our very good spirits, friends, yes, coming to headline the event, and uh, and there'll be a couple of other people there too, and some people like Tim Meisberg and Stephanie Burke, you and I, and John Bryman. John Bryman, yep. So uh, there'll certainly be a, a good group of people to be able to hang out with and investigate with too. If you get tickets for the ghost hunt, oh yeah. There's going to be multiple locations for that. From what I've heard, yes, we're going to have probably about five different locations, and we may be alone in them. Well, not alone, because people are going to come No, no, through. but like, you know, I lead my own group, you lead your own group, and then everybody's switching around. The only thing that scares me about that is what happens on the time in between groups. Alone in the dark. Dun, right. Dun, dun. We've done that before at some of our events, and it's It, it gets, gets a little weird. Right, right. Like when we would do Fort Tabor, and I would always claim Battery Milliken. I would refuse to stay in the battery in between groups. I would, too. Um, from what I've heard, I think he's going to have some guides okay. um, guiding people around. So we might not be totally alone, which is great because that scares the crap out of me. Um, but, you know, it's all subject to change at this point. Um, 
while he's securing the locations. And from what I've heard, some of the locations are, you know, pretty interesting. So I'm really looking forward to that. And of course, hanging out with Amy and Adam is always a great time too. Um, cause they've been longtime friends of ours. So that's going to be a very cool weekend. And it's Adam's hometown too, or at least recent town. And, uh, in, uh, and there's also a VIP party with that too. Yes. On the so Friday it's going to be the kindred spirits VIP party. So we're going to have a great time. Which means that there'll be a lot of wine involved. There very well could be. So I'm not a big wine drinker. But I am. When I'm when I'm with somebody that actually knows about wine, yep. then I'm willing to, to kind of covered. branch out a little bit more. Amy's I'm sure got you covered. Yeah. <laughs> but but I can tell you this from experience with, with uh with hanging out with Adam. Yep. You know, he's he's got a, a good variety of tastes when it comes to alcohol. Good so to know. Good to know. It'll all be flowing. Not that, you know, getting drunk is the main point of the VIP party. But no, not at all. But, you know. It kind of is nice to be able to have a few drinks and let loose with people in the paranormal. Yes, absolutely. Because every other time that we get together, when it's for investigations, when it's for events, yep. that's frowned upon. Right. You know, you don't want to show up to these things drinking or, or drinking while you're there. So this is the chance to kind of cut loose and, oh, and yeah. hang back and just experience them as regular people. Right. And that, I can tell you from experience, I, I know and you know, mm-hmm. Amy and Adam, they're regular people. Oh my God! Yeah, John Brightman. I'm not so sure, <laughs> but we we have a good time with that that small group. Um, so I'm I'm looking forward to everything to do that weekend. I'll be with Amy and Adam the weekend before too, up in Mount Washington, which is on sale at strange-escapes.com. Yes, and I'm really looking forward to that event too. It's actually she called it a limited VIP spiritual retreat for the weekend. So it's Friday all the way to Monday morning, and it's a great lineup of, um, obviously myself, but Amy, Adam, Dustin Perry will be there, and uh, Ty Gowen. So I have not met Ty yet, but I'm looking forward to that, and I've only been... um, I've only been to one event with Dustin before, so I'm really looking forward to, uh, you know, getting out and investigating with them and just seeing how the whole weekend goes, because I've heard amazing things about Mount Washington. You've been, right? I, no, well, I went when I was a kid. Oh, I've never been up the there. I've never been, so I've heard amazing things, and obviously the haunted stories are really cool. I always say every time she has an event up there that I'm going to crash it. But you should. But it's, it's still like a good three-and-a-half-hour drive. Yeah, it's, it's not close, but it's... I wanted to go up there the last time they were there in November because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, not, in addition to all my Strange Escapes friends that I wanted to go and see, right. I, I really wanted to have the chance to meet Greg and Dana Newkirk in person. Right, right. Because I've never actually I've never met, met them. them in person. And uh, I couldn't I couldn't end up making the drive. But that's okay because I'll be, I'll be cruising with them for an entire week. That's true. With Strange that's Escapes, right. which is also coming later. up in May. Right. Which you can still get tickets for, I believe. I think the cutoff date has not been... Oh, that's awesome. Coming. I think it's sometime this month to be able to get all the money in to be able to go on the cruise. But imagine getting to spend the whole week with Amy and Adam and Grant Wilson and John Tenney yes. and Dana and Greg and, and Chip, Chip Coffee. And then you'll have to put up with me. I'm going to have to to crash your party while you guys are still on the ground. Yeah, we'll be in Salem leave. first, yeah. Because I haven't met John Tenney yet. And hopefully I get to meet Chip in, in April. But if not, I'll have to meet him in May. Well, when you meet John Tenney, it'll change your life. So I've heard. I'm looking forward to this. It'll it'll definitely change your life. And so, <laughs> by the way, he just randomly started sending me pictures the other day mm-hmm. of the cruise last time, like asking if I'm ready. Oh my <laughs> gosh, that's so funny. Pictures of the towel animals and all that kind of so stuff. So you guys are definitely rooming together this time. Oh yeah, we definitely are. That's awesome. So I don't think anybody else would want to put up with us. I love it. I, I wish I was going so that way I could get in on the shenanigans. Other people would be like, hey, I want to go to sleep at some point. Oh yeah. Can you guys take it out into the hallway? <laughs> that is hysterical. 
So if you want to get tickets to the Salem Con event, you can go to mghparanormal.com. And if you want to get tickets to the Providence Paracon, Providence, Providence, Paranormal Par, <laughs> Provincetown Paracon. Yes. You can go to the website for that at provincetownparacon.com. Sorry that I'm having so much trouble speaking because, first of all, we're recording this after I finish my new shift, which means I've been talking all day. But also on top of that, I've been sick. So, like, I'm really... You've had a rough couple of not, days. Not doing so well. Right, right. I, uh, I'm losing my voice a little bit, which I'm hoping will go away when I go to sleep tonight because I have to talk all day tomorrow, too. Of course. But, uh, you know, this, 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 this is what happens when you're, when you're nauseous. You need some greens in your life. And there's, there's nothing left. Oh, yeah. To get up. Oh, yeah. So it's, the minute I started dry heaving, I was like, well, there goes my voice, and sure oh, enough. No. And I was fine until I came in, and then I started talking to Taylor, and, and then I was like, uh, 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 uh. You poor thing. So, it's all right. I've got my giant Gatorade, and I actually ate today for the first time in, like, 30 hours. Which is good, and it's, it's stayed down this far. So far. We'll see what happens when we're done recording this. Oh, no. Sorry, just, don't. just don't give me any bugs because I'm leaving I'm a in a week. Keeping a distance. I'll be gone. So it sounds like we're promoting a lot of things here at the start of the show, and I know sometimes people get upset with that, but we want to make sure we get all this stuff mentioned because we're going to be having a full slate of guests coming up in the coming weeks. So actually next week our guest will be Sam Valtrusis, who's going to come and join us to talk about not only the Provincetown Paracon, but also about all of his books that he's written over the years and, and, and some of his work that he's done in the paranormal world. So... You know, we'll, I'm sure we'll cover the convention a little bit in that, too. Right, but, of course. You know, I just want to make sure that I get this stuff up there so that people know how they can join us for these things coming up. Well, I, I'm sad that I won't be here for that interview. I'm going to try to call in from Tampa. And, uh, you know, if I run into Chris Jericho again, I'll have to call you. Definitely. Well, he's on the road with WWE oh, right now. that's right, so that's right. You might but not run into him. I got lucky three years ago running into him at the bar, but at my hotel. Um, when you met him for the TV thing, did you tell him that? Did yeah. You, yeah, he... Um, I told him what he said to me too. He's like, I said that? He's like, there's no way. I was like, yeah. Cause he, he was surprised that I knew who he was. Well, um, I told you when he was there, I was like, go up, go up to him. Right. He's drinking great goose. And, um, you know, I, it was just a quick hi. I never want to be that person. That's like, oh my God, you're on TV. I want to be your friend. It's just like a hi. Like, how are you? And he was surprised that right. I, I don't that I was normal. I don't want to be his friend cause he's on TV. I want to be his friend cause he's awesome. Well, he just seems like, you know, getting to know him, um, when we, we filmed, um, so down to earth, so normal, but like just so cool at the same time. And I just enjoyed talking ghosts with him and history with him. So it was a great conversation. He's a wicked cool guy. If you ever get the chance to know, we got to get him on the show here and we will. Yes. I mean, uh, we, we've had enough contact with him oh, yeah. through people that know him yep. that we'll get him on the show and, uh, we'll, we'll definitely talk more about his paranormal passions. Yes. And, uh, and I know that the Bridgewater Triangle was one of those. So we'll, we'll talk oh, more yeah. about that as well. Of course, I have no idea how I'm going to cut any of this up, because I have no idea how long these segments are going to be. But That's okay. Meh. We'll keep going. Um, yeah, Jason was just like, cut it however you can cut it, and I'll fill in the rest. <laughs> it works for me. That's all that matters. And yes, we're promoting a ton of things right now, but, you know, as much as we hear it that, oh, you guys are just, you know, rambling on about promoting things, a lot of people write into us and ask us where we're going to be and how, you know, they can get tickets. Not just us, things. but like, where can they go and connect with other people? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know... When are we doing a next event, or when can they investigate with us? So uh, we're going to have a really busy season this year, a very busy season. And speaking of which, I have gotten a few requests about Legend Trips. Yep. There's been some preliminary discussions about some things going on. Really? So 
I'm looking forward to that. And, um, Tim, I know, you know, the same as you, I'm already getting calls for events in September and October and it's, it's just February today. I actually have so. one in October that I might be passing off to you. So Okay, cool. That's the problem is, you know, taking this new job, I completely cut out my schedule for being able to go out and meet people and right, right. actually interact with people. Well, but. during the week at least, but you're making up for it in other, other categories. Going out and speaking at libraries, that was one of my favorite things to do because you're getting an audience a lot of the time yep. that is interested but doesn't know. Right. And you're getting an audience that is cautious about coming out and seeing something like this. Of course. So you're getting the chance to not only inform people about something they might not know about, but also kind of open the door for them a little bit. And I look at, when I go to these things, I look at myself as being, and I'm sure you do the same, as being kind of like an ambassador for the paranormal. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That I'm trying to just show you that this stuff isn't as weird as you think it is, and I'm not as weird as you think that I would be for being into it. That's one of my favorite parts. And um, I tell everybody all the time, when I... When somebody finds out who I am, what I do, and I have to look somebody in the face and say, hey, I talk to dead people for a living. Um, yes, is it awkward? Absolutely. But at the same time, once they start asking those questions, if I just say one little thing that kind of makes you think a little bit differently than you did before you talked to me, mission accomplished. If I opened your mind up just a tiny bit to the possibility of something other than what you've already thought to be true, then great and most of the time they end up asking so many questions and i tell them i love this so much that i could talk to you for five days straight about it um but i enjoy meeting people because there's been such a a taboo about this subject matter for so long and people are finally coming out so to speak to talk to us and learn more but one of the things that you will and speaking of, of, of learning new things, uh, we'll be joined in a little while uh, with our guest for this week. His name is Douglas Robinson, and he is the author of the Silently series, Books About Vampires. Right. We're going to talk to him a little bit about his books, his storylines, and also about real-life vampires as well. But one of the things that you realize when you go out, and, and one of the things that's, I don't want to say dangerous, but where you kind of have to toe the line when you go out and talk to people about these things, mm-hmm. is you have to be aware that sometimes you need to normalize Oh, a situation for people. Yes. And then other times, by doing so, you almost offend them. Yes. You know, it's like some people you need to tell them that it's okay. This happens to everybody. People have these experiences. It's not that big of a deal. Let's 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 talk you down from the ledge on it a little bit. And then you get the other people that when you try and tell them, hey, it's actually more mundane than you think it is. They want to be special and they want to. They refuse right. to admit that it could happen to other people. There's no happy medium. Right. No pun intended. But you know, it goes one way or the other, and I feel like we do a, a good job with. No matter what's thrown at us for questions or situations and different, you know, aspects of any type of conversation about the paranormal. Well, I always think back to the fact that, you know, 11 years ago, I was the guy sitting in the audience. Yes. And I was the guy watching Jeff Belanger speak and and Derek Mm -hmm. Bartlett and John Zaffis and and going out and hearing Rosemary Ellen Guiley going to see these people at, like, Cape Cod Community College. Yes. I was the person that was going and taking Keith Johnson's course Mm -hmm. at South Coast Learning, you know, in... And so I always try to remember that. Oh God, throwing it back to South Coast Learning now. I, I did know, that right? too. Going back and thinking like, okay, granted, I probably knew more about the subject matter mm-hmm. than most of the people in the room at that time just because I'd been looking into it for a long time. Yes. I still had a lot to go and I still had a lot to learn. And I wonder, looking back to you know the me of 11 years ago, how much have I really learned in that time? Right. I mean, I've retained a lot of information. I've retained a lot of, uh, you know, historical background stuff. I've returned, you know, I've retained a lot of that. But how much closer are we to answers than we were 11 years ago? Not really. Right. I, 
I mean, I was the the kid going to the library and sneaking out of the children's section to go to all the books about haunted this or haunted that and, you know, history about the Salem witch trials, anything that I could get my hands on. And 11 years ago, I was the teenager that was listening to Spooky South Coast in your first season and soaking up all that. And I never in a million years thought that I would become as close to you as I am because I thought, hey, what's the chances of ever meeting these guys? And going to actually I met you at one of your book signings I kind of accidentally you walked into the place that I worked at to to do your book signing but um that's what I love about our events is well the fact that you didn't know that I was coming means they didn't do a good enough job advertising well I knew you were coming but I I read your book but um I I love our events because we get to meet our listeners and it has nothing to do with you know I mean, I'm sure they feel the same way, but in my heart, that's how I feel. I love to meet the people that listen to the show. And, and not to toot our own horn, but it's still weird to me to this day to get people that, you know, will send us emails and, you know, talk about how much they love the show or talk about, you know, like what a difference we've made for them. And, oh, absolutely. And the surprise that people get when we email them back. Um, I will never forget in one of my favorite um, event goers came up to me at an event that we did locally and said, could I please take a selfie with you? I said, yeah, absolutely. And she was so shocked and excited. I looked right at her and I said, why do you want a picture with me? And we laughed about it for a minute. But um, at that moment to me was like, I'm just a regular person. Right. And I am probably more excited to meet you because I want to know the people that are listening to our show. I want to talk to them. I want to talk to them about their passions about the paranormal and the questions that they have. So, But I think it's different than you know somebody meeting a celebrity as opposed to somebody meeting somebody like us right. who we're just here to make them feel comfortable right. with the subject matter. And I think that that probably resonates with people enough that, you know, like a lot of listeners say they feel like, you know, we're family and we consider them all part oh, of the absolutely. crew. Yep. So I think that that's part of the, the connection, which is why we do so many of the things that we do mm-hmm. is to get out there and meet people. I mean, everybody's like, oh, you know, you're getting out there and you're promoting yourself. Yeah, um, but what's what's the means to the end of that? We just you know? need friends. Right. We're, we're <laughs> That's just all lonely. we're doing. We're, we're just, just lonely. <laughs> and most of we're stuck with each other. In our real lives, most of the people don't want to talk about this stuff. No, absolutely not. I mean, I I married somebody that wasn't even comfortable with the subject matter, right. and now he's used to it. Both of our spouses kind of just roll their eyes in the back of their head when you start talking about it. They're like, oh, uh, yeah, okay. Mine's gotten a lot better. I think he's a little... Um, more inclined to to ask questions now or just comfortable with it but I, I don't think it helps that we reproduced and my daughter is exactly like me so he has to deal with it now yeah that's true. there's no running from it now <laughs> nope well why don't we get into the discussion with our guest tonight douglas robinson actually i i think that i don't know how this is going to get cut because mm. of time i have no idea we haven't been going that long i know i probably should have set a stopwatch for it we didn't stop talking to him till like 9 20 ish well, I do want to bring up this story. Okay. Let's talk about it. Because it's uh, it's something that I thought that you would find of interest. Okay. Is that recently the Central Intelligence Agency had posted more than 12 million pages of declassified documents online. Okay. So 12 million pages of declassified CIA files go up online, and one name that appears quite often through these files, and people kind of zeroed in on, is Uri Geller. Okay. And are you familiar with Uri Geller? No. I'm surprised. Uri Geller was, in the 70s, was somebody who was all over television as a, I guess, a psychic and a a mentalist. He was the guy that could bend the spoons with his mind and was always going on TV and, Mm -hmm. you know, would come up with a reason why the spoon wouldn't bend. So, 
he shows up in a lot of these CIA files, basically pointing out the fact that the CIA was, see, Uri Geller had moved to, the, to America. Mm-hmm. He was from the Soviet Union. Okay. So the CIA was very interested in Uri and what was going on with his abilities because they wanted to know if the Russians had other people that had his gifts. And as we've come to find out over the years, yeah, they kind of did. Mm-hmm. You know, both the Soviets and the Americans had a remote viewing program. Right. They used, uh, you know, psychic warfare as a way to kind of go back and forth during the Cold War. But I wanted to ask you this question because you have abilities. Of course. And you have abilities that go beyond just mediumship. We talk a lot about your mediumship abilities. Right. But you have other skills that go beyond that. If the U.S. government, and I know that you're a very patriotic person. Yes. You know, your husband's a vet and everything, so, right. you know, you come from a family that fully believes in America. Of course. If the government came to you, and if the CIA in particular came to you and said, we need to utilize your abilities, mm-hmm. would you feel any kind of patriotic obligation to do so? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, I I want to say yes, I think I would, if it was for the greater good. Um, but at the same time, I think I would be a little afraid to say no. I mean, what's the limitation of it is what I would want to know. I mean, are you going to be placed in a cage and, you know, right, and, right. and poked and prodded? Or are you going to be able to come and go as you please and just give them a few hours of your time every week? Well, I, I kind of feel like if they wanted me to cooperate, they probably shouldn't put me in a cage. If anybody's met me, you can't really tie me down. Well, the – I mean, I guess the way that they handle each case is different. Yep. I'm sure Uri Geller was getting treated pretty well. Right. I'm sure he wasn't coming in and being, you know, locked into a room and of had course. The, the bright light pointed in his face asking him questions. No, I think they would probably have to be respectful in some sense because they don't really understand what they're dealing with, so they kind of have to just let it happen. You know what I mean? Just like if I were to come to you and you needed me for something, you'd have to just let it happen because you don't understand um, what goes into it and, right. you know, how it operates. So I think same thing. Unless they're, you know, highly informed, then they wouldn't really understand. But I think they would probably know if they're highly informed that locking somebody in a cage is not going to get them answers. And see, like, I've never tried to, you know, we've been friends a long time. I've yes. never tried to use your abilities. Right. I've never tried to get you to use your abilities, I should say. For to, personal reasons. To, to benefit right. me in any way or, you know, I've never asked you for a reading. Right. Um the part of the closest that's ever happened is like being at an event or on an investigation mm-hmm. when I'll say to you, Hey, come in this room for a minute and see what you're right, picking right. up on. But you know, that's kind of like, I think you've probably been witness to me reading other people or witness to, um, me in a, a situation or a location, but it's never been me directly reading you. Right. Usually because I won't allow it. Right. And I understand that you're uncomfortable with it too. I mean, there's, there's things there's about me I don't want you to know, even though I know that you already know. Right. Well, that's why I think we, we just have that understanding that I kind of know if you're going through, through something. I like the illusion of yes. thinking that you don't know things. Right. But I think, well, I mean, we've talked about this before. So not necessarily mediumship aspect of things, but everything that you're describing falls into the psychic category. Mm. And you've said time and time again, you know, even before you knew about, you know, mediumship, my mediumship skill set, I should say, you would tell people, I can't even ask her a question without her giving me the answer first. Right. And so you, you have some type of idea of what I'm capable of, or I'll tell you something that you're thinking. But I usually try to tell you, like, hey, Tim, I know what's going on, but I'm just going to stay over here, and if you want to talk about something, we can. And just to be clear, I mean, if it was ever anything from a mediumship perspective yes. that you felt that you had to share with me, I'm open to all of that. Just like, not the personal part. That's how, yeah, that stuff doesn't bother okay. me. But it's, yeah, it's the, the, the knowing things 
that, that right. I look, you know, I, and that's not just you. I mean, that's just any friend. Right. You know, I like to be able to, and I'm sure you deal with it with a lot of your other friends and family members that you want to be able to keep a wall and a distance. You don't want to know everything. Um, I think if it's gonna help someone I love and care about, then yes, I like to know things, you know, especially if somebody's in, you know, going through something really difficult, um, that right, you But can... if you have a cousin that shaves cats, you don't need to know who <laughs> shaves cats. You'd be better off not knowing that. No, absolutely. Um, I, you know, it doesn't really work like that either. Like if I want to know everything I can, but I want to be a normal person too. And I have my own stuff going on in my own life, which distracts me at the same time. But I have had friends, one friend in particular that you know as well, who was going through, you know, a tough time. And, um, I had said to her, you know, I'm here for you. And I, I kind of called her out on, you know, her behavior because she was trying to hide what was going on in her life. And, you know, she said, I, I really hate you, but I love you at the same time because she's very much like me. If there's something going on, you put a wall up and you pretend everything's okay. And she's like, you're the one person I can't hide it from. But at the same time, I'm also very thankful that I at least have you to go to when I don't want to admit it to other people. So it gets, it's a weird situation. Well, getting back to the CIA idea. Yes. So if the CIA came to you and said, you know, we want to examine your abilities at work mm-hmm. i mean how would that work how would you i mean i'm, I'm sure that you've never actually been quote-unquote tested i'm right. sure that you've ne- i mean I'm, i know that you've been on cases where people didn't give you information and right. then i'm constantly see tested right. by other a, people I mean, that's a test yeah but i'm talking about actually having to undergo like, like a scientific? series of experiments yeah so um I mean, the way that I've been tested by other people is I literally, even for kindred spirits. So for those of you out there that have seen kindred spirits in my episode with Amy and Adam, um, I was given an address. So I had to drive three hours away um, to film for that. I was given an address of a Walmart. I met a, I'm assuming an associate producer in the Walmart parking lot. I was told to find a specific car, follow it for like 10 minutes to a neighborhood And from there, I had to get out of my car, put a mic on, and then the associate producer jumped out of the car. I followed and into my driver's seat and drove me in my car to the location. I had no idea. I was so disoriented after a three-hour drive. I had to stop at the Walmart to run in the bathroom just to kind of like splash my face with water just because it was such a, you know, disorienting drive. But um, I never know where I'm going ahead of time. And they really wanted to screw me up. And the producer joked about it, especially with you. Um, and, you know, afterwards when I talked to him that he, he was really sorry for what he did to me. But it was a great call because the stuff that I picked up on was um, very surprising to him. So everywhere that I go and that I work on, I do this. I meet somebody at a different location. I'm driven there just to not mess with my abilities or nobody can ever say to me that I knew something ahead of time. And I enjoy reading historical documents about the people that I've connected with or the names or the dates that I've gotten or different things like that. Very factual, evidential things. So when it comes to being tested by the government, I assume it would probably be a little bit more scientific. I would love somebody to stick a bunch of stickers on my head or a cap on my head and tell me what happens in my brain on paper or on a screen when I start connecting because I feel like there would probably be a physical difference in my brain waves. So... That would be kind of fascinating to me because I'm a super well, have nerd. You, have you ever tried? Have you ever ever no. gone an EKG or anything? No, I know. I think um, I think Doctor 
Oz or the Doctors, I can't remember which show, did it to um, Teresa Caputo, who's a Long Island medium. And I caught part of the episode, but I never saw um, what happens. And I think they did catch that there was a physical difference in in um, her body when it happened. So I would love to see, you know, what they considered actual tests to prove psychic or mediumship ability. And testing those two things are two very different things. So I wonder if there's a difference between what happens to your body when you're connecting psychically and what happens to your body when you're connecting in a mediumistic type of way. If I brought you to a laboratory yes. and hooked you up to all the machines, yep. could you turn it on? Yeah. The, the situation wouldn't wouldn't hinder you in a, at all? No, I've been in some really weird or like stressful, stressful situations when it comes to reading, so I don't think that that would bother me. I would just need, you know, somebody in front of me to use as an example. Because you know there's somebody out there listening right now that's going to offer up think, a laboratory. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, I would just need somebody to read or a situation to read. So Maybe Dr. Taylor Stormer over at Harvard knows somebody? <laughs> Maybe. I know he's listening, although he works in the history department, but hey, you maybe know. he knows somebody. We can... I mean, if you're going to be tested, you might as well be tested at Harvard, right? That's probably the best place to go, right? Either that or MIT. I was going to say MIT is my second choice. So, so anyone that has connections, let's know, make it happen. You know, there's tons of people out there, too, that are like, that's a good idea. I never thought oh, about yeah. that. I have access to a lab. I never thought about testing somebody in that right. way. Right. But, it, you know, it, again, it doesn't mean anything. Right. I mean, not that I, not that I think that you're a phony, but right. if, if somebody thought that they had those abilities mm-hmm. and didn't, they still might undergo some sort of a, a change when they're trying to tune into something. Right. But it, for me, it would just, I mean, I, I'm just using this as an example of, like, it's not going to definitively prove or disprove anything, except to you, it's going to let you know and validate kind of what you feel when you feel it. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, I can feel a physical change when I get deep into reading in a mediumistic type of way. Um I know it's almost like something takes over is the feeling, like I'm no longer in control. Um, but I would also be curious to see if we took, you know, like Candace, one of my best friends, Candace Dalton, who's a phenomenal medium. Um, she deals with a lot of the medium side rather than the psychic side. But I would love to see if we're both sitting there and tuning into something on the medium aspect, would her results be different from mine? Because we know in skills, mediums are all different. So would her body change in a different way than mine would? Well, or would it be the same physical part of us that changed? One thing I was thinking of now that I work in the news room, mm-hmm. and I know how to work things in that news booth. Yes. See, that's a that's a, a sound controlled booth mm-hmm. over there. So what I was now. thinking was, yeah, be careful when you spin your head around. <laughs> but what I what I was thinking of last week was mm-hmm. that wouldn't it be interesting to bring in two people with abilities mm-hmm. and put one in that room and one in here? Yep. Because you can cut the audio to that room so they don't hear anything that's going on. Right. And likewise, and we could go back and forth and see if people pick on the pick up on the same thing. It doesn't mean that anybody's right or wrong. It just means that people have it come to them in different ways. Right. Right. Um, I don't even know if I don't know if that's time. too gimmicky, but no, because I think it's all in the name of science, right? Uh, actually, it's kind of my own sick desire to see what happens. It's not really science as much as it is like I want to see somebody sweat it out. Have you ever seen Candace Reed? Uh, no, I've never seen her read outside of, you know, what I saw on television. Right. I, I'm trying to think if there's been a time where the two of us, we've read together, um, but I don't think in like a public forum. I think we've only done it privately. Well, maybe it's something we could work out. Yeah. Somewhere down the She'd line. She'd be down for whatever. If I tell her we're coming to hang out with you, it'd be over. Well, that's true. I know that We have firsthand. a good time. I should tell her to come to the zombie prom. Absolutely. Nobody dances like her. Nope. 
You should I'll definitely have to text her and tell her. Tell her that uh, we'll be going Facebook Live with that. So. Oh, my goodness. She can do her worm why in a zombie. This, why is this beeping? Because we're on the air. No, we're not on the air. Well, we're here, I should say. It should have just switched over. Why didn't it switch? See the kind of things that I have to do here? There's like a three-minute blank space <laughs> in the computer that I have just to now manually fill. And if you weren't here. till it clicks over. So I'm just going to kind of keep talking and looking at this at the same time. Actually, why don't we say right now that uh, we will take a break for the news. And when we come back on the other side, we will have more spooky South Coast, including our guest, Douglas Robinson, talking with us about vampires, both real life and the ones that he has created as part of his storylines. We'll be right back with more Spooky South Coast in just a bit. Because they didn't even know we were doing this? Right. It was a mystery show. I just said, hey, I'm not going to bother them. No. You knew I might be available. I'm right down the street. So That's, that's what I'm thinking. And I was thinking if I was going to talk to somebody about vampires, I should probably have somebody that's probably never watched a vampire movie because she's scared of them. I've watched happy vampire movies. Does that count? Like what? Like Once Bitten? Like Twilight? That's not happy. Why not? It's miserable for anybody that has to sit through it. It wasn't too bad. No. I didn't read the books, and I have them, and I just never get around to it. I'm more of a Harry Potter girl. I so. think Chris Balzano is a big Twilight fan. Think so? I think so. He's also a Hanson fan. That's true. We these, should... these are things that are not helping his cause. No. No. Umbop is his favorite song. Uh, you know, it's catchy. I, I'll give it that. It is, it's but it's also 20 years later, so... We actually used to use it as an intro song for him when he came Did on the show. Really? Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Before we stopped using licensed music. <laughs> I um yeah I I'm more of a Harry Potter girl I think I'm more into the the witchcraft wizardry magic sense instead of just biting people so well biting people can be fun it depends on which way you look at it depends on how hard you're biting and and how clean they are exactly and you don't want to drink blood I'm not a fan of drinking blood I'm not a fan of blood in general we already talked about this with with zombie blood I've drank blood before yeah yeah it's not good no no not not like a giant goblet of it. But, you know, I've, I've had a few instances where the inside of my mouth was bleeding for one reason or another. Yeah, I'm not a fan. And it's it's gross. Yeah, yeah it's it gross. It turns my stomach. Uh, but I'd rather drink my own than drink somebody else's. So that's why I don't understand how people can do it, because the, the taste of it, I think, is supposed to naturally turn you off. So that you yeah. realize, hey, there's something wrong. I have blood in my stomach. But obviously somebody likes it somewhere. It's, it's just weird. And I've drank animal blood before, too. Why? Like, you know, how do you get the... Uh, like you buy a steak and there's yeah. like that blood in the package. I uh, drank that on a dare. What is, what is wrong with you? Is that a actually blood? I heard that's not actually blood. I don't know what it is, but I drank it anyway. That's disgusting. It tasted How did you like not blood. get sick? Uh, I don't know. I do a lot of things that could probably make me sick, but don't. But you catch a stomach bug. And then I randomly just get sick yeah. out of nowhere. I never get <laughs> sick either. That's what's funny. But when I do, watch out. Yeah. Because like... Well, I'm a little afraid right now. Oh, yesterday it was ridiculous. Yesterday. You know, yesterday as I was getting sick, I kind of thought to myself... Like, I wonder if this is what it's like when you connect with things, because, 
like I had a bit of a conscious awareness of what was going on, but like mm-hmm. I was kind of floating outside of myself yeah, to some degree. That's, that's pretty accurate. You know, like I couldn't stop. It was funny because I, I, I told you that mm-hmm. I was here working and normally I get done at 8 o'clock at night and I had so much extra work. I didn't leave here till like after 10. But part of that was, and I had extra, I say I had extra work, but I, it was extra work because it was taking me so long because I was sick. But I spent t- like 20 minutes, a half an hour laying on the floor taking a nap around 8 o'clock just to charge up. I can't believe that you had to do that. And then, so that happened. So I fell asleep. You'd think I'd be refreshed. I left here. Now it was snowing, and the roads weren't great, but they weren't bad either. So instead of taking an hour to get home like I thought it would have, it only took me about a half an hour. And I went to the convenience store. You know you know how I love the 7-Eleven? And their food. So I, Well, I didn't get food. Oh, thank God. But I went to get a Gatorade. Yep. And so I went to the 7-Eleven, got a Gatorade, went back into the car, closed my eyes and fell asleep in the parking lot of 7-Eleven for a good five minutes, drove home. The 7-Eleven is just a few miles from my house, so it's not that big of a deal. Right. Drove home, parked the car in the driveway, fell asleep in the driveway. Oh, my God. Then I got in the house and pretty much crashed as soon as I walked in and got into bed. So for me to get like that, it's pretty – got to be pretty bad off to get like that. But meanwhile, the whole time, it's like my consciousness is going, but my body is just not keeping up with it. Right. You know, and I was like, oh, I wonder if that's kind of what it feels like to be kind of floating out in the ether like that. So maybe it's just, you know, maybe it's just, maybe the fever is giving me abilities. I mean, what you described is pretty accurate. I always feel like I'm kind of floating off Let me see. Else. Let me see if I can have a vision right now. Okay. Let's see if I can have some kind of premonition. Let's see how this goes. No, I just fell asleep. Mm. All right, so why don't... You've been pretty accurate about some weird stuff. In the past. I, I have some abilities. I just refuse to admit it. Right. Well, I don't want to take your gig either. That's kind of your role on the show. I know. I know. If there, was, if there was two psychics. I don't think two psychics on a show is a good you idea. You wouldn't need me. I, I, and there are some shows where there's two psychics. I don't think it works. No. No. Good to know. They, it's like having twins on the show where they start talking in that language that only they can understand. <laughs> I know what that's like. Well, why don't we get into the discussion tonight with our guests? Sounds good. Joining us on the line right now, we have Douglas Robinson. He is the writer of the Silently series, Storyline. Stories about a modern-day vampiric girl named Macon and her relationship with a young man who soon becomes vampiric because he was exposed to her blood. Douglas, thank you for joining us. Thank you, sir, for having me. Now, what made you want to write about vampires uh, to begin with? I mean, I know that it's something that's been pretty popular in, in pop culture over the last couple of years, but is this something that's a relatively new topic to you or something you've always had an interest in? Well, um, I've been aware of things most of my life from childhood up. And in 1983, uh, my ability to see, and I use that in quotes, see, turned on. And I literally saw the storyline that summer in 1983. I was taking a little fiction writing class. And uh, as soon as I finished the second little short story of that class, which was essentially the last chapter of Silently Comes the Night, the first novel-length story, I kept seeing it. And then about two months later, I had seen the entire storyline. So then it, it, you spent some time before having the initial, you know, the initial idea, the initial, um, I guess, premonition for the story, and then actually putting it, putting it down. Well, like I say, uh, vampiric people have been on my heart most of my life. Uh, 
for the coughing. No, no problem. But, at all. Uh, but they have been on my heart most of my life, and uh, it wasn't like I really thought that I was setting out to write a vampire story, but it was just suddenly there, and uh, I was following my heart and doing it because uh, people in this condition, I, I care for what happens to them, and uh, their life is very, very, very hard. So you said that you know you've you've had a, a, a an affection for vampires all your life. What is it that brought that about? I don't know. Um, when I was seven, eight years old, my dreams turned to blood, meaning I kept seeing myself dying. And whatever put me on this path, it's you know little things that connect me to them and. You know, it's hard to root all that out as to what really happened, but uh, just to say, I think there's a lot of ways in my life that's connected to them. And, you know, that's hard to explain from the outside. I normally explain it this way. The human race is sitting on one side of a fence looking in. You know, like you're, you're trying to look across the fence to see what their life is like. When I'm writing, I'm on their side of the fence looking out is so far the best way I've got to describe where I'm coming from. So, and in having this connection, though, is it something that's purely been in terms of your fictional writing, or have you actually reached out and interacted with, with real-life vampires? Uh, well, I would be hesitant to, to to admit to meeting people like this, Uh you know, for security and safety and all of this, it's largely in my mind because I see what I see and I know what I know. Um, does that answer your question? I, I'm, I'm hesitant to admit to meeting them, though, so, because that'd be dangerous for a lot of people. Okay, I, I kind of see where you're going with that, you know, but uh, we'll we'll leave it at that. So, but you are, you know, in in tune with. There are people, there are resources that you can rely on for for information and research if need be. Well, uh, strangely enough, you know, there are people who who study them, but that's not. I'm not one of them. I just have a sense of knowing what I know, and I've prayed for them a long time. And that includes a lot of um, detail that, you know, maybe a researcher would know or maybe they won't. It's sort of like I'm sitting and looking at their life from the inside out, and I see a lot of stuff. So do you feel like your um, in-tune information comes from a precognitive type of place or a psychic type of place, or do you just feel like um, it comes to you in a different sense? I think God showed me. Okay. Because I prayed for them, and I think he's allowing me to see and feel and and pick up on things. So you believe um, um, that it's it's a very much a real thing, you know, in real life, outside of writing about it fictionally. It's real to me. Okay. And and when you say that you prayed for them, is that because you feel that you know their lifestyle is, and, and the way that they live is 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 wrong? They are trapped. They are lonely. They are alone. Nobody wants them or cares whether they live or die, but I do. Some more and about I think concern. that's the uh, compulsion that uh, 
you know, prompted me to write this storyline because they are alone and they had nobody. So I, I told the Lord I'll take them. And, and just to take a step back, when we're talking about vampires, we're talking about beings that are the undead, beings that are... No, 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 no. I don't, I don't have undead vampiric people in my story. Okay. I don't have undead vampirism. Uh, if, if people read the second story that explains a lot more than the first one did, the people that I, that I see are living people. Their bodies have gone through what they call the change, and they literally mean the change because it's such a massive thing, and their bodies have changed to make them a blood drinker, but they are living people. So and is, what's the compulsion for this change to happen? Well, the, in, in, in most of the cases, if, if a, like in Thomas's case, he was exposed to Macon's blood, then... You know, his body started changing also. In most cases, it's triggered by exposure to another vampiric person's blood. Interesting. In uh, rare instances, if a person drinks blood, in very rare instances, they could also change. Uh, two of the characters change that way. So it's not your typical, um, you have to be bitten by no, a vampire. No, no, no. Not, okay. not really like, you know... When I was first thinking about them as a young, young child, I I started dismantling the occultic elements. Mm-hmm. Like, isn't it tradition to say that a vampire has no reflection in a mirror? Right. Well, you know, the I thought, okay, you're a person with a body. You have mass. You have a physical presence. Uh, therefore, you have a reflection. Very true. And so, like I say, from early on, I started dismantling the occultic elements, and when you get through all of that, you're left with a person that has to drink blood to live. And that's where, I, that's where I'm writing from. Now, how about the other um, typical stereotypes that come with being a vampire? What about, you know, the opposite sleep schedule? Um, turning into a bat, the, the things that we've all heard growing up. Did you include any of that in your story, or did you dismantle that as well? Right now, I'm just dealing with people. They are they can live longer okay. than a normal human lifespan. Uh, Megan herself is uh, almost 300. Oh, wow. Uh, the reason being uh, that I saw it that way, Blood is a very singular food source, mm-hmm. and like our bodies, you know, we don't have so much resources devoted to maintenance and repair, but in their case, their bodies have a tremendously higher percentage given to maintenance and repair because their digestive system is inverted and changed into something else. And they don't have to rely on a lot of metabolic stuff to take food like we do and process it. So the reason that I came up with, uh, you know, the, to explain their lifespan is that so much of their body is given to maintenance and repair where ours, ours are not. Uh, but uh, most of the other occultic elements I, I removed. 
Interesting. Now, there is another vampiric being midway through the storyline. The Lord gave me a scripture in Joel 2, verse 2, that talks about a day of darkness, clouds, gloominess, and thick darkness. In my explanation of them, I say that these are the four pathways that uh, someone can change on. And someone who changes under thick darkness, there's a tremendously more demonic um, presence and demonic oppression. So when we meet the other midway through the storyline, he has attributes that would be more, I don't want to say traditional vampirism, but there are some wild stuff going on for him. Now, did you incorporate any other type of supernatural elements into the story? Any other type of, of uh, you know, any type of beings besides vampires? No, just vampiric people. There are no other, um, uh, as you say, the classification of the different occultic beings. They're just vampiric people in my story, at least so far. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, the, the, the door is open for the possibility. So, well, I, I know, I already know what the storyline is going to be. Uh, if anyone buys the, the story, you'll see that it's um, four story blocks of 16 stories. And like I say, I just saw it all the way from silently all the way to the last one. And uh, the storyline has already been laid out. So now with, with your books you have on your website, uh, which you can check out, anybody out there can check out at silently-publishing.com, you actually have a disclaimer for the book series. You, you give people a warning before they launch into reading them. Well, there are two reasons for that. First of all, blood drinking is um, makes people afraid in the first place. And second of all, because I think what I'm writing is really real, which puts me, I guess, over the top one way or another. Well, I mean, there's been some different approaches over the years to try and get inside the mind of vampires and, and other supernatural creatures. I mean, if you look at a television show like True Blood, if you look at the Twilight books and movies, if you look at, you know, even some of what they did with zombies, with uh, with warm bodies, it seems like they're becoming more sympathetic figures to, to people now. A lot of that fear is going away, and people are able to actually identify with whatever humanistic elements are still existing within these creatures. I realize that these other shows have done what they could do to to bring this to life in their words, but the reason that I didn't, that I don't think I'm quite like that, you can create a character. Like if you wanted to create a detective. Well, of course, someone like Sherlock Holmes comes to mind and all the other characters that have been on TV. In my case, I didn't start trying to create a character. I prayed for them to understand their situation. And so I came at it from a different angle, and then, bam, uh, I saw the entire storyline, and there it all was. So I didn't go at it to create a vampire like a character. I prayed for them because I wanted to, to understand their situation, and then... There it was. I mean, I don't know how much attention you pay to some of these other portrayals, but, I mean, where where have people gotten it wrong over the years when it comes to, you know, vampires and, and what knowledge you have of them? Where have people kind of 
created more mythology than, than, than real story? Well, first of all, I would, I would be hesitant to criticize these other shows because I haven't seen them. I made a deliberate choice not to watch vampire anything, so I haven't seen any of the, I don't watch zombie shows either, but like I say, I haven't seen anything really since uh, 83, and, you know, I mean, what these other people want to do with the genre is, uh, you know, nice and lovely, but I've got my storyline to, to write, and I keep myself separate from what the other people are creating because I don't want to influence what I'm writing. And maybe when I finish the storyline, we'll see. But for right now, I'm just uh, concentrating on what I saw and what I think. So now going forward with the story, you said that you already kind of have an idea of, of where it can go. Do you see these characters? Well, I, already know what, I already know what happened. Um, the storyline began in 1993. And the events in Silently and Rights... And the storyline ends about 1999. There's a historical component to four stories, beginning with Macon's story. that picks up her life as a 13-year-old girl. And then when she is attacked and all the bad things that happen after that and her, her, her survival. But, uh, yeah, I, I saw the entire thing in just one shot. So with, with having that, that much of a, a premonition of what's going to happen, how does that, as a writer, how do you develop those characters now? Is it, is it inspiration still strikes you as you're writing, or are you still serving that original vision, and did it come to you fully formed, or are these characters kind of evolving as the storyline goes on? Oh, I saw them full-blown people like Thomas himself, Macon, uh, Thomas's parents, Thomas's sister Kimberly, I saw a vampiric girl by the name of Janine, a young girl by the name of Alicia, a man by the name of Nolan, the people that are in rites of passage. I just saw them. And all the other people, um, it's not like I had to, quote, create a character because I just saw the people. I know that's probably coming off as extremely weird, but it's like I just saw them and I knew them. Their names, too. I mean, that's uh, inspiration strikes people in different ways, and 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 vision strikes people in different ways. Uh, you include it's sort of like watching a TV screen, you know, like a movie inside your head, right? And and then you that's just kind of like, but then you have the the enormous responsibility that comes with that of of then having to be the conduit for that story to come through, of having to to be the pen to tell that story to the world. Yes, I am responsible. Now, you mentioned, uh, just taking a look at your website, you know, it talks about that there are other uh, human blood drinkers that come up in the story, and I think that that's something that a lot of people have come to the realization in recent years is that there is a, a great deal of people, you know, in the real world that do partake in the drinking of human blood. Oh, yes, there are very many human blood drinkers. And what's what's the reason behind it? What's, what's their, their rationale for doing so? Well, if someone wants to be Dracula, literally, and they think the way to get there is by drinking blood, or some people drink it ritually, uh, Megan was describing to Thomas the different people that drink blood, and she said there are some people that just like the cruelty and death associated with it, 
there were some people that drank blood believing that it will extend their lifespan. I guess any any wacko reason for a human to, to drink blood because they see it as desirable or they see or they like the images portrayed on television that, you know, I can become this cool vampire if I drink blood. Many different reasons. I mean we've we've talked I was going to say, we've talked on the show in the past with uh, Michelle Belanger, who, you know, says she's a real-life vampire. And one of the things that she talks about is just the intimate connection with another person to be able to drink their blood. And to be able to share that with somebody shows that you have a, a deeper level of commitment to that person. Is, is that something that exists within the storylines that you're creating? Uh, I didn't create a... Oh, how do I say it? Blood is consumed for sustenance because they have to drink it. You know, they can drink things like water uh, or tea or wine. But so far as consuming food, blood is their only sustenance. So that's it. I wasn't really using, um, you know, I'm going to drink blood and therefore I'm, I'm more intimate with you. I didn't use that. No, it's, not, it's, it's more for, for sustenance more than being romanticized. Right. Now, do Macon and Thomas and the other main characters in your book, uh, do they look different than, you know, you or I? Can you tell if they're a vampire? Do they have any different characteristics that set them apart from a regular human? No, they look normal. Macon is a pretty girl. I mean, her skin is pale, of course, because she's not in the sun much. Mm -hmm. But a uh, uh, normal girl, normal guy. No pointy I mean, teeth or anything of that sort? Nothing to really give them away? There would be, you know, a, a vampiric person's eyes change if they're deprived from blood. Okay. Like in the third story that we've not yet gotten to, Thomas's eyes are normally brown. Okay. But as, but as he's, he's encountering a situation that he's going to have to go fight something, and he gets up and sees his face in the mirror, and his his eyes have like a coppery sheen to them. So if they're deprived from blood, or if they're under duress, their eye color can change a little bit. Okay. But that's not something you would normally see, because most of them are smart enough to have contacts. Ah, that makes sense. Well, you know, they don't want to just give the whole show away. No, right, right. Um, but I figured I would, I would ask because I personally don't have a lot of experience um, with researching vampires. Tim, I'm not sure about you. No, um, not very much, no. But I tend to do more of the ghost thing myself rather than vampires or werewolves, aliens, Bigfoot. Not usually my thing. So um, forgive me for all of my questions, but I'm quite curious as to, well, certainly to quite all right. how um, this all operates because obviously you've put a lot of time um, and effort into not just writing a story but coming up with, you know, factual information that came to you. So um, this is very fascinating for me to learn about. You would be able to get right to my publicist. Uh, I don't know if she sent you the frequently asked questions. But if you have not yet gotten it, uh, contact her again and get that because I, I describe a lot of stuff okay. that, that you may find interesting. That's very good to know. Thank you. It, yes, ma'am. Well, you mentioned, you know, that um, it, it, 
drinking blood for your characters is, is just a form of sustenance. So how do they go about doing so? I mean, is this something where, you know, they it's given to them by somebody? How do they acquire the blood that they need to survive? Well, sadly enough, there are no very few willing donors along the way. Uh, you know, females have to either bargain for it or steal it. Males tend to take it or buy it. So those are your four choices of getting blood. Uh, bargain for it, steal it, buy it, or take it. And, like, you know, Janine has to trick this guy to come into a motel room with her. She secures him to the bed and then uses a razor blade to cut his forearms to let the blood drip into a bowl. You know, her making is um, proficient at using... You know the different syringes and things that uh, you know would draw with a needle. So it's not necessarily so how they get their blood. It's not necessarily that taking blood from someone would result in in that person's death. Uh, in, the, in the case of when John does it, yeah, he, he kills. But it's not it's not a, a, a motivating factor for what they're doing. Correct. They're not. They're. If you think of it this way, they know that the person that they kill today is the person they can't get blood from a month from now. So they know not they know to not go kill off their food source. That's a that's a good point, yeah. Now how often as ghastly as that sounds, that that's most of them have to use restraint because they know that wanton killing is not a good thing. Now how often do they have to drink blood in order to survive? Uh, every day or every other day. Okay. You know, you you know these uh, pint milk cartons like you see in school. Mm-hmm. You know, typical blood, vampiric blood meal would be three or four of those. Wow, that's that's uh, that's more than I'm willing to donate when yes. I go just to get a cookie. With, <laughs> understand. But also with but with is not that, that much blood is not. Uh, Hopefully, with uh, with developing these characters and telling the story, I mean, how much of the emotional response to what it is that they're doing do you incorporate into the story? I mean, it, do you kind of bring us into the mind of the characters as they have to commit these acts in order to survive? They are do the way that they see it is I'm doing what I have to do to live, and that's that's pretty much where they they leave it. It's not like that they can afford the gut-wrenching, oh, I'm a horrible monster, I'm drinking someone's blood thing, because they know that they're in a situation that, uh, you know, if they don't drink blood, they will die. Now, I know there are some real-life vampires that choose uh, to drink blood, but they don't partake in human blood. They go for animal blood and as a way to kind of feed that, desire to feed that, quench that thirst without having to actually harm anybody. Do any of the characters in, in your book, are they able to survive on animal blood? One of the frequently asked questions that I put in my little packet was, uh, they, human blood is qualitatively different to them than animal blood. Mm-hmm. They can drink animal blood for a little while, but they invariably go back to human. So yes, they can have animal blood. Occasionally. 
I mean, it, when you say that there's these differences between them, I mean, would the animal blood sustain them as much as the human blood could? Well, so now going forward with the series, and as you said, you know, you, you know how things are going to be mapped out. And, and again, this, the series is known as the Silently series. The first book is Silently Comes the Night. The second book is Rites of Passage. As you know how these are going forward and how they're going along, it's, it's kind of also, you know, you gotta make sure you don't get too far ahead of yourself and let the cat out of the bag for some of these surprises that are coming down the line. How, as a writer, how do you decide how much of the story to dole out into each book, into each section of the story? Um, each part of the storyline in each book is sharing something about vampiric people that, uh, that I think that it's a good place to reveal. And so like in the third story with Deadly Intent, John will return, you know, the killer that you've met in silently. But it's important to me that I show more what happened to him and what turned him into a killer. So like I say, each each story of the storyline is revealing something. And, uh, you know, I have it in my heart and I've prayed about it. And, you know, with God's help, I'll do, do a, uh, the best job that I can to to give this information to you because it's not just a story, it's also underlying the things in it that I'm putting there deliberately for you to learn about them. Now, what do you believe is God's reasoning for creating vampires? God didn't create vampires. Okay. Who do you believe did? Um, you know, I'll describe it this way. I go to my back porch, and I've got corn seed, and I'm going to throw corn seed all over my yard. What's going to happen? Obviously grow corn. Yeah, if I go to my back porch, I throw tomato seed all over the place. What's going to happen? Same thing, only tomatoes. Tomatoes. You know, a lot of our physical world is built off of seed time and harvest. And Scripture, uh, especially the King James Version, talks about that. There is a scripture in Isaiah, oh, what is it, 47.5. First of all, when you're reading the King James Version of the Bible, you can see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D throughout the scripture, mm-hmm. like Lord. Mm-hmm. That's really the word uh, Yahweh or Jehovah, as we would know it. This is the aspect of God that causes every seed to grow. If you sow good seed, then you get good things. If you sow bad seed, then you get bad things. And in the case of vampiric people, I explain it this way. The Lord, as rendered in the King James Version of the Bible, caused vampiric people to exist from seeds of darkness that were sown, which multiplied. My... My frequently asked questions, it goes into step-by-step how that happened. Okay. But essentially, the Lord made them. And that doesn't say God made them. That means seeds were sown, which grew. Okay. I'm trying my best to understand. (laughs) Um, So, they exist. Um, The reason I was asking is because you seem to um, obviously be, you know, deep in your faith, and um, 
you know, you're, you're very easily citing scripture, um, which I think is great. So I figured praying to God, um, for the, well, lack of better terms, because I'm not exactly sure if vampires have souls, but for the souls of the vampires or their existence, um, and knowing that God didn't create them, um, I find it interesting that you're praying for them because they're not something that technically came from God or were not meant to be from God. So I figured that would put you at a little bit of an impasse rather than... people. Okay. All right. I'm just, you know, curious about that because um, some people tend to be so, you know, deep in their faith that they would, they would go against the, something the like this. The typical way of seeing a, quote, vampire, unquote, mm-hmm is that these people are automatically condemned, they're undead, they don't have a soul, Mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And like I say, I didn't start with any of that. I just started wanting to see them, and any normal, well, let me back up, not say normal, (laughs) any person in a flesh and blood body Mm -hmm. that is alive in their right mind can choose... Jesus, if they want to. Very true. And even the demoniac man, the Gadarenes, that was had the legion of demons in his head, he still fell down and, and at the Lord's feet and worshipped him. So do you feel as though um, vampires in general, not necessarily the ones in your book, but actual, you know, real-life vampires, um, do you believe uh-huh. that they, they follow God's word? Or do you believe No, that? most of them are agnostic, and most of them don't believe in God at all. Okay. But that's Sadly. that's something that they've they've chosen, though. The real life vampires, it's a choice. It's not, you know, there's no legendary or mythological reason why they've they've chosen this life. It's something that they decided to do. I, personally, I think it pretty much comes along uh, this vein. Uh, I'm now. I'm, I'm reasoning like I think they do. You know, I'm, I'm 250 years old. There's nothing anywhere that talks about me existing. Therefore, I exist. Therefore, God does not. Okay. I think that's the reasoning. Interesting. Um, I know you were a little hesitant to talk about it um, earlier on in the show, but it, if it's something that you're able to answer, I would be very curious to know. Um, do you feel? I will do my best. <laughs> I figured. Do you believe that you have come in contact with a real-life vampire? Uh, I saw one at Walmart once. Okay. But I didn't approach him. Okay. How, how did you know? I just knew. You just have a, a gift of discernment when it comes to people that, that are like that? Yep. So now then, what happens if you have these people come into your life? You know, Are you able to always keep a distance from them? You know, I I think of making so real as I think there's a day she's going to walk up and say hello. And if she did, what, what would be your reaction? That. You would look forward to it? Sorry, had people at my door. Oh, no, That's no, okay. No. We're still there? Oh, yeah, yes. we're here. It's, it's, not, it's not making, is it? Anyway, no. Okay. <laughs> no, it's a cleaning crew. Because that would be pretty good timing, you know, if you were yes. just talking about it. so funny. I... Hey, we're all for it. <laughs> well, you know, I'm looking at the cover of the book. She's very attractive, so I'm sure it wouldn't be all that bad to run into a vampire that looks like that. She's a pretty girl. So, 
again, I mean, do, when you're telling the story, do you ever think to yourself, do you ever ask yourself why you, why it was you that was chosen to, to tell the story, or, or do you just accept that it was you? Like I say, uh, back in the day, um, you know, when I was, I was born in Chicago, and like I say, between age seven and eight, my dreams turned to blood. I, I don't remember ever seeing a vampire show, you know, like on TV or a movie, mm-hmm. but I knew what they were. Um, we moved to Alabama when I was about 13 years old, and I saw the uh, soap opera Dark Shadows for the first time. Mm-hmm. And, of course, we all know the very famous character, Barnabas Collins. Right. When I saw that, I wasn't afraid. I more or less cried. Really? Because he was alone. Well, they did do a fantastic job of making him a, a very sympathetic figure in, in, on that show. And and it, I think well, that certainly that... I, Sorry, and I guess in my child's mind, it just touched my heart, and I told God, give them to me, I'll take them. Nobody else wants them, I'll take them. And so I think that decision to love them and reach for them and reach for them and reach for them is uh, why I'm here today. So then why not reach out to any in real life? Why avoid them? They'll come around when they come around. I can't. I can't really predict that. Um, and like I say, um, I, I would certainly be mindful of their security needs and their privacy and things like that. So, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Um, do you believe that you know we we discussed before how you just have this sense of knowing when it comes to um, being in public? and seeing them, almost like a, a radar of sorts. Do you believe that it's the other way around as well, or vice versa of, of that particular situation? Do you think that they Very have a sense funny. of I knowing? I think Megan thinks I'm a figment of her imagination. Okay. Hmm. Um, but she can't, I, if I can sense her, then she can sense me. That's exactly what I was getting at, which leads to my other question. So, you you know, you're sitting around, you, you see the vision for this this book, and I know it's listed as fiction, but do you truly believe that maybe it was a precognitive type of vision, and she does exist out there, and one day this book very much will become reality? Personally, I think she's real. Okay, so I just I find it very interesting, and I'm sure you know you'll have to follow up with us when it it does happen if you're able to. Um, that would be nice. That, uh, you know, obviously writing the book and having it out there, do you think that she would be able to, you know, pick it up and realize that um, there's a whole series written on her? Yes, it's all her story. I mean, because we talk about in, in, in the ghost world, just to, to use as an example, you know, we talk about putting thought out there and having that thought turn into something physical. And, and I think I've heard Stephen King even talking about how, you know, he fully expects when he opens his door you know, from time to time to open it up and see one of his characters standing there on the other side staring him down. And if you put out enough of this thought and enough of this uh, affection for these characters, it will make them real. Well, I mean, I can't I can't describe the metaphysical because I don't know, but certainly from a writer's point of view, they are real to me. Just now, like Mr. King. 
Now, what would you do if somebody, you know, obviously, you know, at your website, silently-publishing.com, people can reach out to you and they can contact you. What if somebody sent you a, an, an email saying, hey, you know, I'm, I'm a real-life vampire and, and I think I could use somebody who would be looking out for me like, like you look out for your characters? Uh, they have. I have oh, okay. emails from people claiming to be real-life vampires. And, and how do you usually handle those? Uh, God bless you. Go have a lovely day. So the fact that they're willing to reach out to you and, and look for you for for kind of a guiding hand, you you know, you're... Well, they, they haven't really reached out to me for a guiding hand. They're okay. just telling me that, you know, everything that I've said has been right on. Very interesting. And that's a nice confirmation, but, you know, uh, no one has, has volunteered to come up and say hello yet. If they did, I mean, would you be willing to accept them into your life to pray for them, or would you want to still keep your distance? We will meet in a public place. Interesting as well. My, that was going to be my Middle next question. Is, um, you know, w- would you be afraid at all that they would want your blood or... Um... They can have it. Okay. Wait, they, they can have it? Yep, all they want. You would willingly give your blood to, to a real-life vampire? Yep, they wanted it. I have to admit, I think I would be a little afraid. What What makes you so willing to, to give up your, your blood? Because it's theirs. Uh, I, you know, people in church get bent all out of shape for blood this and blood that. And I, I say this teeny little thing is the thing that's, that in your mind will not let them come to God. Well, that's a teeny little thing. Give them, you can have mine. I mean, there's... Because I'm not going to let that stand in the way of uh, someone seeing the person behind what they call this label vampire. There's an awesome responsibility to that, and an awesome power to that, too, to be able to give something to somebody that can sustain life. You know, Douglas, you and I, we're, we're men. You know, we don't have the, the maternal instinct. We don't have the ability to, to nurture uh, another being at our breast and, and to sustain life for them, I mean, all we have to do is make sure we don't, you know, lock them out in the cold or something right. and leave them behind at the mall. But to have that ability to, to say to somebody, you know, I can help you live, that's that's a pretty overwhelming responsibility. Well, if you love someone, it's not a hard choice. Very true. So now going forward and, and you know, obviously as, as more... Uh, more books in the series come out and it gains more and more attention. You're going to have more and more people that are going to reach out to you. Uh, people who are going to, you know, maybe say to you, I'm a vampire, I'd, I'd like to meet, I'd like to interact. Are you going to listen to any of their story and, and maybe help them tell their story to the world? You know, once you get this, obviously you want to get this story told first, but are you willing to sit down with them and kind of share their story as well? Right now the Lord hasn't said anything regarding me, say, maybe starting another series with somebody else. He hasn't said anything. So, right off, I don't think that's really on the table. Mm -hmm. When these other people come around, I'll know what they are. I'll just know. There are people that live under the occultic glamour that surrounds all this, and the devil is only too quick for someone to, to believe that they're, quote, a 300-year-old vampire when they're just a 23-year-old kid. And so, like I say, there's a lot of stuff around 
toxic side that makes this so many more human blood drinkers than true vampiric ones. Let me emphasize again, the people that I am talking about are living people that have gone through what they call the change. That means their entire body has changed to make them a blood drinker. That includes people like Macon, people like Thomas, and people you meet in the storyline. It's their story that I'm trying to tell. Mm-hmm. And like I say, when when all these people come around me saying, I'm a vampire, I'm a vampire, I'm a vampire, when I meet them, I'll know what they are. And all the different variations. So it was silently so, comes... Yeah. I was going to say, so Silently Comes the Night has already been released. Rites of Passage has already been released as well? Yes, sir. And so when can we expect the, the next book to come down? Oh, I'm working on it. All right. Well, sir, we will let you get back to it. Thank you very much, Douglas Robinson, for joining us to talk with us about the Silently series and uh, and for sharing with us some of your thoughts on vampires. Thank you, sir, for having me. Thank you both. Have a good night. Bye-bye. That is Douglas Robinson. He is the author of the Silently series, the story of Macon and her relationship with a young man who soon becomes vampiric because he is exposed to her blood. You can check out his website, silently-publishing.com, to find out more about both Douglas and the stories. So a pretty interesting discussion with Douglas Robinson there, Stephanie. I mean... I think I learned a lot. There's there's some things that kind of go against what we've heard about vampires in the past. Oh, definitely. I'm glad I asked the questions that I did, and I'm definitely going to look into the uh, FAQs that he was talking about. And he, he certainly has a, a unique approach. Um, and, you know, when I first got the email and it said, you know, we have a, a fictional author that, about, no, he's not a fictional author, he's a real author, he's, yes. he's a real-life person, but he wrote a fictional book right. about vampires. And you know how it usually goes, we get these fictional books right. sent our way, we're like, eh, we don't really cover fiction on the show, but we want people that are able to kind of talk about it around it. But his backstory of it actually possibly being true is very interesting. Well, I was expecting like a lot of, you know, I was expecting somebody that was going to come on and say, well, I've been researching vampires all my life, mm-hmm. and you know, I, I, and instead with him it was different. Yeah. You know, it was just inspiration struck and, and he went with it. So it was a very different, very interesting approach, that's for sure. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens in the future with that, too. All right. Well, we will probably have him on back in the future maybe to talk about it. Hey, you never know. So next week we will be back live with a live show. You won't be here, though. I won't. I won't. But Sam Beltrusis will be here. He will. He'll talk with us about, of course, the Provincetown Paracon, but also all of his books that he's written. He's written a bunch of books. And he's done a, a bunch of different events and investigations around, so we'll talk to him about all that. And then we'll be here pretty much every Saturday night from then on with uh, lots of great guests that we have coming up as well. So we want you to make sure that you keep coming back here every Saturday night. You can always follow us online at SpookySouthCoast.com. You can sign up for our YouTube page, uh, our YouTube channel, I mean, and you can always get the shows as they get delivered. Sign up for the podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at SpookySC. Follow us on Instagram. Follow us on Facebook everywhere. And wherever you can find somebody, you know, looking for attention online, <laughs> Spooky South Coast will be there. Yes, absolutely. So until next week, even though they're not here, for Matt, for Matt, for Chris, for Stephanie, I'm Tim. We want you all to stay spooktacular. <laughs>